0: Several years ago, I received a letter in the mail, and when I opened the letter, the first thing it said, I was addressed in this fashion, dear water dog, and then it got better. The very first line of the letter said, of those things born on earth, three are born from water outright, a mosquito, a tadpole, and a Campbellite." And I thought about that, you know, and I like I said, as the letter got on, it just got a little bit meaner as it went. And this man was writing to me, he was a preacher, and he was writing to me because he objected to what I had taught on the subject of baptism. And I want us to look at that topic because, you know, of all things in the Bible, and I don't want to defend some position that uh, we're supposed to stand for. I don't want to hold some party line. I want to honestly look at Scripture. I want to go to heaven. And uh, if it means that uh, I have to break from tradition or if it means that I have to to obey something that uh, I haven't been taught in the past or something that differs from what I've been told before, I want to have the courage to do what the Bible says And, and that's what this is all about. And that's what we're all about here. We want to follow God's word. And, uh, this is a topic that I, I guess it should be no surprise because as you read about baptism in the Bible, that is one of those unifying moments. It unites a person with Christ. We are buried with Christ in baptism, Romans chapter six. It is a it's a moment that unites us with Jesus. It it uh, is a time in which our well, it, it's called a, a, not a circumcision of flesh, but a circumcision of the heart. Our sins are, are removed. Um, it's a time when we are united with the body of Christ. For by uh, one Spirit we're all baptized into one body. It, it's a unifying event. And yet, in this religious culture or climate in which we live, baptism is divisive. It's exactly the opposite of what you read about in Scripture. In Scripture, it's portrayed as something that brings people together and unites them in Christ, and yet today we debate about it. We, we have divisions because my view on baptism is this, and your view on baptism is this, and, and I don't think you have to do it, and I think you do have to do it, and what I I think the Bible is a book for all times, and I think that it has answers for us. And if we will look at what the Bible says and, and forget about our baggage and what maybe we've been taught or what maybe I have held without really doing study for myself, I think we can get back to that first century concept. You know, baptism, even in the first couple centuries, was not a matter of of argument and debate. The, the mode of baptism was accepted as immersion. Uh, even the significance of baptism as it has a, a role in receiving salvation from sins, it, it was understood. Um, it's, it's the intervening years that have come that uh, men have begun to change Uh, the purpose and the mode and so forth. So what I want us to do tonight is just to ask this question, are we saved by water? Now, one of the things that that man said to me in our discussion is he said, the difference between you and me is that I believe we're saved by the blood of Christ and you believe you're saved by water. I rolled back to him and I said, that's not the difference at all. I believe just as much as you do that we are saved by the blood of Christ. There is no other way to be saved. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There is power in the blood. Isn't that the doctrine we teach and we sing? I don't believe that water affects my salvation. I believe it's the power of God and the blood of Jesus Christ. But now here's the question. Does God use water as an agent in his hands to bring about our salvation. And that's what I want us to look at tonight. And I want you to see that God throughout history has chosen to use water in his salvation of his people. And let's let's look at a few of those events. First of all, turn in your Bible to Exodus chapter 14. In Exodus chapter 14, verses 21 through 31, we read about the the Israelites after years of captivity in Egypt, they were held in bondage and finally the, the cry of God's people rose to him to the point where he said, it's it's time, um, I need to raise up a deliverer. And he, he called Moses, told Moses to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And, of course, Pharaoh was not cooperative with that. It took ten plagues, and finally God does let uh, Moses go. But as you remember, or Pharaoh lets him go, and as you remember, they they leave with all their stuff, and they get right up against the Red Sea, and the Egyptians come, and they're trapped, and they're coming, and they're mad. Their firstborn has just been killed. These folks are angry. As they approach, and it looks like it's hopeless. It looks like that Moses had just simply brought them out, of the, out to the wilderness to die there. And they began to think, you know, it might have been better just to have been slaves back there. At least we'd still be alive. But here's what happens. God told Moses, stretch your rod out over the water. And when he did, the waters parted. And he said, cross over. And so the Israelites crossed over through the midst of the Red Sea and on dry ground and the walls of water on each side of them. And they got to the other side and then the Egyptians saw that passageway and they decided, we're going to take that too. And so they got in there and as you know, God told the waters to just go back. And the walls of water collapsed on the Egyptians and they were drowned and the Israelites were delivered. Now question, what saved the Israelites from certain death? The answer is God. He saved the Israelites, nothing other than God. But did God use an instrument to bring about His salvation? And the answer to that is yes. He used the waters of the Red Sea to close in and to deliver the Israelites from the pursuing Egyptians. The power was not in the water. They weren't saved by the water in and of itself. They were saved by God who used water to accomplish that salvation. Now, let's look at another story. In Second Kings chapter 5, if you have your Bible, you might want to turn there. It's the story of Naaman. The Syrians were the enemies of Israel, and there was a a captain who had a little Israelite slave that had had been captured, and this captain had leprosy. Uh, That's a death sentence. I mean, you're going to die from this. And the Israelite slave said to this man who had leprosy, there's a man in Israel, a man of God, who can heal you of that, that leprosy. And so Naaman thought, well, what do I have to lose? And so he went and sought out this man of God. And he went and found him. And here's what he thought would happen. He he went up to the, the, the prophet or thought he would just walk up to the prophet and say, I need cleansed. And the prophet would raise his hand and just wave his hand over him and say, you're clean. And just this miraculous moment, boom, his leprosy's gone, he's healed. And it'd be this big show and he'd go back home, a a healed man. That's how he had it all figured out. It was going to play out in his mind. And what actually happened is when he got to the prophet, he didn't actually even get to the prophet. He got to the prophet's servant who was sent out to him. The prophet doesn't even speak to him personally and he tells the servant, tell him, to go dip in the Jordan River seven times, and he'll be healed. No grandiose scene, no wave of the hand, no miraculous thing like that, no show. And it made Naaman mad. And he said, man, there are better rivers back home. I came all the way over here to go dip in the river? Come on now, that's not how it happens. And so he started to go back home mad, but one of his servants said, listen, had he asked you to do some great thing, you would have done it, wouldn't you? He's just asked you to go dip seven times in the river. He said, go do it. And so Naaman did. And the Bible tells us that when Naaman dipped that seventh time and he came up out of the water, he was cleansed. No more leprosy. In fact, the Bible tells us, and I always kind of thought this was a little humorous in a funny kind of way, I guess, but... Um, the Bible says his skin became that of a little baby's. Do you know how soft babies are? And and Naaman's this big, tough army guy, and he had skin like a little baby's. He probably took a ribbon for that after uh, he had been healed. But again, question, what healed Naaman? The water or God? Well, the answer to that is God. Uh, God used the water as an agency. He told him, I want you to to dip seven times. But what healed Naaman of the leprosy was the power of God. It it had nothing to do with the, the healing qualities of that water, it was God. But God used the water to accomplish his purpose. Another example. Noah and the flood. In Genesis chapter 6 and chapter 7 and chapter 8, we read about the flood. And there was wickedness. Every thought and imagination of man's heart was evil continuously. And God said, I've had enough. And so he said, Noah, build an ark, gave him the dimensions, told him what to do. And so he went about the task of building an ark. The day came when God told Noah, come into the ark, and that he shut the door And the rains came. And not only did the waters from the heaven fall down upon the earth, but the the waters of the deep bubbled up and the earth was flooded. The Bible says that the water exceeded the highest mountains by 15 cubits. And so all the earth was flooded. And in one respect... Noah was saved by those waters. Now, how was he saved by the water? I thought he was saved from the water. No. The Bible says, and if you'll look at 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 20, uh, we'll, we'll get to that in just a minute, but it says that it was by water or through water that Noah was saved. What was he, how did the water save Noah? Well, did those waters not give Noah a brand-new start? They completely did away with all the wickedness of the world. They gave him a brand new beginning, a new lease on life. And um, again, question, was that accomplished by the waters or by the power of God? The flood, did it just happen because of nature or was God involved? The answer to that again is God. God chose, though, water to be the element by which he brought about the salvation of Noah and his wife, his three sons and their wives. The power was in God. He kept them alive. He was with them. He was remembering them for that year-long ordeal in that ark. And so then with those things in mind, we see how that the power's in God, but he uses water and has used it in the past to accomplish his purposes and so it shouldn't come as a surprise when I come to the New Testament and I read statements like "We, uh, no one can enter into the kingdom of heaven unless they be born again, be born of water and the spirits." That's not a declaration of baptismal regeneration. That is simply a statement saying that God saves, but he employs water in the process. Now, turn in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 3, and we'll look at uh, this last point. In 1 Peter chapter 3, in verse 20, uh, Peter is talking about the people that lived in the days of Noah, their disobedience, and how the, uh, the flood came and washed them away, and so forth. But he talks about them, and he says they were formally disobedient. When once the divine long suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. So again, we're back to they were saved through water. The water separated them from all the wickedness, gave them a new beginning, a new start on life. And then he says in verse 21, the like figure. Or your Bible might say, or your translation may say, the antitype. Something that corresponds to that back there. The like figure we under baptism doth also now save us. Not the removal of the flesh or the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter says, you know, there, there are things that happened in the Old Testament that were shadows of things that were to come. The Passover lamb was a picture of Jesus who would come and shed his blood for us. The tabernacle in the Old Testament was a picture of the church that Jesus would establish in the New Testament. There are all these beautiful pictures. The the brazen serpent that Moses put on a stick and held up that if you looked at this thing, you would be cleansed. You would be healed of the snake bite. And Jesus says... Just like Moses raised up that serpent, so I, the Son of Man, will be raised up. He was talking about the cross. It was prefiguring. It was a shadow of something that would someday later come. And that's precisely what Peter says about the flood. Have you ever asked the question, why a flood? Why didn't God just snap his fingers and say, boom, all the the wicked people be gone? It would have been a whole lot easier for Noah. I'm sure he would have appreciated not having to build an ark. And and the flood and the whole year-long thing, the ordeal. God wanted to use that to picture something, to prefigure something that was to come. And that's what Peter says. Just as Noah and his family were saved through water, we today are saved by baptism. Now again, the question is this. What saves us? The water or God? The answer to that is God. God saves us. It's through the power of God. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ. But does God in his salvation of our souls, does he include water in the plan? And the answer to that is yes. That's not what I say. That's not what anybody, that's what the Bible says. I, I've sat down with people before in Bible studies and, and you know 1 Peter 3.21 does mean something. Words do mean something, don't they? When he says the like figure, whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. You know, I've taken a piece of paper and I've written down and I've said, you circle which statement is true. Baptism doth also now save us. I write it word for word as it's written in their Bible. Or baptism does not save us. And I said, you, you circle the one that's true. You know, invariably I have people that will circle the wrong answer. Even as they read it, even as it's directly from the Bible, they will circle baptism does does not save us. And at that point I say, well, you know, it looks like I have the option of following what you say or following what an inspired apostle says. And I hope you're not offended, but I'm going to follow Peter. And again, it's not a salvation. There's no efficacy in the water itself. There's nothing special. It's just old tap water. But put in the hands of an almighty God, It can be used as a tool, as an instrument in the saving of our soul. The power is in the blood of Christ. The power is in God. But would God ever use water to affect a man's salvation? Yes. Yes. He has many times we looked at several examples tonight where he did that very thing, and Peter himself says, "You know one of those Old Testament cases where they used, God used water to, to rid the world of wickedness and to give people a new beginning, Just like that, baptism doth also now save us. What I would like for us to consider from First Peter chapter three and verse 21 is the similarity. Like the Israelites, the waters of baptism, in those waters of baptism, we become victorious and we become free from slavery, slavery to sin. And like in the case of Naaman, in the waters of baptism, we become born again. He was given a new, like a little baby, His flesh was restored. And in the waters of baptism, we are born again. And like in the days of Noah, the waters of baptism give us a new beginning, a new life. We become new creation. All things are new. We get to start all over again. And so when somebody says, you guys put too much focus on water... It's not in the water that saves you anyway. Well, no, we don't believe that. I don't believe that the water alone, there's never been any saving power in the water. It's always been in God, and that's what we've always taught. But God has and still does use water to bring about our salvation. The question tonight is, what are we going to do with this information? Will I argue with it and say, well, I don't think it's, I don't think God would use water. I don't see that, that it's all that important. I I don't see why we would have to, you know, we can have a thousand rationales why you don't have to be baptized, why it's not important, so forth. Bottom line is, God said, it is. He connects our salvation to it. It's the power of God that saves us, but he says, I'll give it to those Who do this? If you haven't done that tonight, I know that many of you have, and this lesson and Peter in the book of First Peter says several times, I know you know this, but I put you in remembrance. It's good for us to every once in a while just be reminded of what we've done and why we've done it, and that it's biblical. And for some of you tonight, that's exactly what we've done. We've just reminded you of a truth that you already knew. You already obeyed, but it's good to to know that we've done the right thing and we're standing where God wants us to stand. For others, it may be the case, I've never done that. I've argued with it, tried to rationalize with it, but I've never just come out and obeyed it. If that's the case, why don't you do that tonight? We serve a God who is all-powerful. He can cleanse you of your sins, but He says... It will be accomplished in the waters of baptism. As we bring this lesson to a close, I just want you to consider Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, he says we, in baptism, basically reenact the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus died on the cross, and what do you do with the dead person? You, You bury them. And he was buried in the tomb, and he rose again the third day. He came back to life. And just as Jesus went through that death, burial, and resurrection, He says, we too are buried with Christ in baptism. Well, we rise to walk in newness of life. That's God's plan. That's not mine. That's His. And so if we die to sin and we're buried with Him in baptism... He will raise us to what there's, there's a change. When we go into the water, we're dead. That's, you bury dead people. And when we're, we die to our sin and we're buried, we're dead. But when we come up, we're alive. There's been a conversion, a change. What affected that change? The power of God. But it was at the time and place of your baptism. And if you're here tonight and you need to be baptized into Christ, why don't you take that step tonight and obey him and he'll keep his word and forgive you of all your past sins. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful and you need to give your life to Christ and rededicate yourself to him and live for him, we'll pray with you to that end if you'll come as we stand together and sing.